2: I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I'm an executive advisor, a speaker, a coach, and an author of an award-winning book series focusing on helping leaders innovate how they lead or update what they do to be more effective. I'm also the faculty in universities in the U.S. and Germany. We are joined today by uh, Carla Morelli and Laura Holt, Carla is a leader who steers people and organizations through complex change. With over 20 years of experience in consulting, entrepreneurial, and public company settings, she delivers business-critical results that balance structural needs and human interdynamics. Her ability to integrate multiple perspectives and mesh the balcony view with a detailed understanding of what's required in an initiative to truly succeed consistently unlock potential where other approaches have failed. Our second guest is Laura Holt. She works as outside counsel, focusing on corporate finance. She represents private equity funds, financial and strategic and lifestyle companies in the buying role and also the selling role. She structures, negotiates, and protects investment value in M&A transactions. She represents investors and lenders at every level of the capital stack. So today, our the outcome I hope you walk away with is Carla and Laura are going to talk about mergers and acquisitions, focusing on key factors that drive successes and failures. They're both seasoned veterans who've participated in many transactions, and they've seen similar themes. Now, certainly their transactions don't fail. (laughs) 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 ever (laughs) (laughs) but they have seen some that are a little less successful so this interview will provide some insights and recommendations to improve the probability of success in your next transaction whether you're acquiring selling or involved in the integration just a little bit about innovative leadership and our theme we talk about helping leaders innovate the way they lead and specifically focused on the volume of change we're facing now and will likely face over the most of the rest of our working lives is accelerating. And the only way for us as leaders to continue to be effective and provide the value that we need to provide to lead the people and organizations we're working with is to continue to update or innovate how we're leading. Because our leadership, like our technology, is a depreciating asset. And if we as the leaders have depreciated in our capability to lead, then we are likely becoming the problem rather than the solution to to the challenges we're facing. So let's start with Laura and Carla. Tell us a little bit more about yourself.
3: Sure. So my so my background in corporate finance means I sort of straddle the M&A and the finance world. Um I I think it's helpful to my clients for me to represent the the purse string sometimes as well as uh... the people borrowing just so that uh... that we can see around corners with respect to what each of the stakeholders are really looking for and how do we get that seamless transaction Um i really like collaborating with the carla's of the world <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely you know imperative to the m&a process which can be a pretty mo- messy sausage mm-hmm. that gets made <laughs> um, if, if everybody's got sort of their role on the assembly line So.
2: That's a great way to think about it. I realize they're complex transactions, but there is a general assembly line in which we're operating. So let's go to Carla.
4: Yeah, so my background is actually pretty varied. Um, I've had a number of different careers that have culminated in M&A work. Um, I manage transactions. I run teams, global teams, that um, represent every function um, from HR to finance, legal operations. Um, and for me, it's about making sure that the transaction is as successful as possible given what we have to work with. Um, and as Laura knows, oftentimes, you really don't have enough to work with. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, then and so really, it is about the collaboration. It is about getting people all pulled in um, and all you know, looking at the same thing and getting to the same end point. Um, and that, for as much as that sounds obvious, it oftentimes gets lost in the process. Yeah.
3: Marie, so you said something interesting where you said their transactions never fail. Um, and, we, and we laughed at that, but some of them, you know, I'm sure Carly would agree, probably mm-hmm. should've, yes. you know, prior to close. But you know, once, once you're pregnant with a deal, you only lose a couple. You mm-hmm. know, people, people get so entrenched in sort yes. of accomplishing the deal, but actually probably, you know, more should fail. Um, well, and prior that, to close.
2: that goes into our first question, 50 to 80% of deals fail to deliver the results that are promised or expected. So can you say more about that?
3: Sure. You know, I mean, I think a lot of it is you get into uh, M&A because you have either a survival strategy or you have a goal that you're trying to achieve, Mm -hmm. right? And so you're trying to get better and not just bigger, or you're trying to exit because you have a legacy or value to pass on. Mm -hmm. And the process, because it it is so hard, it is so long and dependent on so many constituents, sometimes you lose track of what that rudder is. You know, and I think I think Carla, you probably come in earlier than I do as yeah. an attorney and see when that
4: when that you know North Star gets a little bit blurrier yeah we see uh, i 've seen a lot of um, the original intent is a good one, uh, but once people get invested and they 've spent mm-hmm. time now there's there becomes pressure whether the team has created it itself or it 's coming from an outside force, the executives of a company or or you know wherever that's coming from. Um, the pressure really causes people to start to do things that they would not normally do. Like, well, mm-hmm. if we did this, then we'd reach that number. And then if maybe if we reached far enough, then we'd get over here and we could get that. And then they, they, it's not that they're making things up or they're being disingenuous. They really are trying to believe that they can make something successful because they're so invested, to your, to your earlier point. And that's one of the big reasons why they fail. Because the, the expectation is, is not realistic mm-hmm. at all. But people have gone so far to try to make it, you know, something that could be okay mm-hmm. that,
3: Right, yeah. And you have competing (coughs) interests, right? So what you originally sell yourself, right? What you say to yourself, this is the reason I'm doing it. Then you have to sell it to your Mm -hmm. shareholders. Mm -hmm. And then you have to sell it to your lenders. And then you have to sell it to your buyer, right? So you have these different competing interests of your Mm. constituents. And, you know, at the bottom of the line is your customers, the people that actually pay for your goods and services. Um, and they, they need to be kept sort of top of mind because that is the reason most people are doing it,
2: yeah. right? And having been in a board role where we exited a couple companies and I was pretty heavily involved in those transactions, at least one of them was a survival move. And so it wasn't optional. We had to make the deal work, whether or not. And so so it was a selling of... So I came in when an organization was in receivership, the entire goal was to exit and continue to st- serve the stakeholders, our, our customers, because they had, uh, it was a university and we were part of the way th- through a semester. We needed to keep our students whole. And yet the, the interest of faculty, students, bankers, that complex ability to negotiate everyone's interest Or the tension
4: is absolutely, can be quite strong. And not because people are um, trying to take advantage either. They're just trying to keep from being, you know, completely sidelined.
2: They were just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. But not all of us agreed on what right looked like. Yes. Because as a board, we weren't all experts in doing this. So what my sense of right was could have been very different from what our council saw, from what our investment advisors were seeing... So, so that was also interesting, is the range of voices, some of whom have experience and some don't. But they all had a point of view.
4: But even when you get the experienced ones in the room, it's still, they're, they're, the, the, the perspectives are just different. People bring different backgrounds, they bring different um, abilities, they bring different expectations. Um, it doesn't, mm. you rarely get, you put four people in a room, even if they've all worked together before multiple times, mm. you'll still get five opinions mm. from those four people.
3: So I always ask, whenever I'm dealing with a CEO, I always say, who is your Charlie Munger? Because Warren Buffett is only successful because of his Charlie, right? Mm. Like, who is your sort of C-level leadership person that checks you, right? When you are going against your gut, your original Mm -hmm. intent, when you're getting sort of swayed uh, by the masses. And um, it also helps validate you for those constituents, that you have a bouncing board, that you have a check and balance, That's
4: a good point. Yeah, that's very
2: valuable. So Laura you talked in the intro about the rudder. So say more about that.
3: So you know I think that the rudder is your ultimate you know original intent. Mm-hmm. Right? Are are you doing this because you have to survive? Are you doing this because you um expect to see you know, some sort of incremental customer lift. You're going you're gonna to be able to serve your customer in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. Are you doing this because your employees won't have a platform to grow and thrive in? Mm-hmm. You know, the culture can't bear to be in you know, um, such small you know, territory. Or, you know, are you doing this for just a lot of money? <laughs> right, yeah, so like, which is valid, <laughs> mean, it's an absolutely right.
4: valid reason. Right, ultimately
3: the CEO payday calculator, is that, you know, mm-hmm. the rudder. So as, as long as you sort of keep that true, right, mm-hmm. and, and keep it close to you, and maybe that's your Charlie Munger's job, um, then you can survive the, you know, full-time job that's not being added to your plate. Yeah,
2: on top of what is already a full-time job,
3: presumably. right.
4: right. Well, you know, the other thing I, I want to say is, so I um, tend to represent, I, I've sold stuff, but I tend to represent the buyer's um, perspective. And the one thing that I see is that on the seller side, um, things change, right? I mean, the reason why they started may be one that was very clear, but as more information comes and the opportunity comes and they get to see kind of what the combined entity would be like or what the post-close environment would look like, there are some other things change too. Right, so how do you, you know, how do you sort of keep them consistent with what was important to them, but still give them flexibility to sort of evolve their thinking? If that kind of makes sense. Yeah, no, it's like a March
3: Madness bracket, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I mean, to your point, like it, maybe yeah. maybe your writer starts out making a ton of money, and then you get into the meat of it, and you see, wait, my key employees that I feel are family to me,
2: yeah, that I are I've not going from... to thrive. Yeah.
3: yeah. The way that we are structuring this, and maybe that's mm-hmm. actually more important to me, yes. mm-hmm. and I didn't know it. So that's fine. But you have to put them against each other and just say, "This was the original rudder, mm-hmm. right? Here it is now. You know, all mm-hmm. right, Have we now figured out what value trumps what?" Yeah. Um, so that's the bracket, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We could on. do a diagram.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, so this sounds like the same kind of characteristics we look at in defining good leaders, effective leaders that self-awareness and and knowing who I am, what I stand for and being willing to adjust that when I get more information, not staying to my original position. Once I'm presented with additional data,
4: Sort of digging your heels in because this is what I said I was going to do. Right. That doesn't work. Doesn't work. Right. And Carla, what we discussed
3: earlier and that, you know, I would love your thoughts on is resilience and because this, this requires resilience, that idea of, um, all right, now my, my value set is conflicted. Mm-hmm. You know, how much am I willing to go to the mat for this new value that I, I maybe mm-hmm.
4: underappreciated in the beginning? Yeah, oh, well, there's that. And there's also the fact that it's exhausting. because it does yes. matter what <laughs> side you're on. It's, you know, especially in, in cases early on where there's um, it's all under sort of the shroud of secrecy. You can't tell anybody what's going mm-hmm. on, right? You have a day job that you have to maintain and a persona that you have to maintain to not upset or, um, or, or make people feel uh, worried that something's mm-hmm. going on. Um, and I think between the exhaustion and the fact that you get mm-hmm. n- in new inputs that cause you to constantly have to sort of reevaluate, um, if you don't have, to your, to your point, Laura, someone, who, someone or some people who are sort of keeping you, supporting you and keeping mm-hmm. you straight, um, you need that and you also need mm-hmm. to be able to be of the mindset that understands that this is happening to me and I need to be thinking about what that means and I need to be thinking about the fact that I'm exhausted and I need to take time and take yeah. care
2: so when we talk about resilience we look at four factors am I managing my physiology eating appropriately healthy food sleeping enough mm-hmm. and we know that generally doesn't happen yeah. um. <laughs> <laughs> you don't eat healthy food either most of the time But doing the best we can so that physiologically, even if it means bringing a protein bar to a meeting, having a box of something so that that when I get cranky, I can reach for healthy food in addition to the buckets she, of caffeine that I'm saying, drinking. She says that she could just drink her coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so it's managing my physiology, managing my thinking. Yeah. So being aware when I'm getting overwhelmed and what I'm focusing on and what I'm obsessing over mm-hmm. and how's that impacting again back to sleeping. Managing my emotions, because yeah. they can go out of whack, especially when I'm exhausted. And having that connection, the phone a friend, so who is my Charlie, that continually gives me feedback that I'm willing to listen to even when it's stuff I really don't want to hear.
3: Right. I think it's space too. I mean, um with the, you know, corporation, the smartphone computers and, you know, globalization, mm-hmm. some of this M and I, you know, you know, Carla, you're doing it um Global. across the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's going to be emails twenty four hours a day to react to. Right? Yeah. So if you're in constantly reaction mode and you're not in processing mode, right, then you're gonna be having a very short view. But if you can Take your Charlie on a walk. Take your key customer, key employee mm-hmm. on a walk and away from the telephone, mm-hmm. away from the computer and let yourself dialogue it out mm-hmm. and process sort of the bigger mm-hmm. picture and and just make space, yeah. Yeah. you know, twice a day, morning, first hour of the morning, mm-hmm. first hour or last hour at night
2: mm-hmm.
3: where you're just processing the bigger picture and not just saying, oh, you know, how do I push this along? Mm-hmm. How do I get this off my task list?
4: It's sort of about retethering yourself,
3: right?
2: Yeah. For me, that was a woman named Jan, and she would call me as she drove in, and she would call me as she drove home. And some of those were conversations that I wouldn't repeat in public. (laughs) 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 They were cranky, they were (laughs) emotional, they were, you know, the stuff that comes up, there were plenty of those. (laughs) Yeah, and and I usually don't do that. But it, it was at a really taxing time. So, so even the, the people who seem think they're the most well-balanced can go off the rails. I don't oh. think I was off the rails, maybe, but...
3: <laughs> no, but I mean, no, you do. You need the venting time, and then you just also need the, uh, you know, the non-thinking time. You listen to mm-hmm. music.
2: Right. That's a great Dirt. point.
3: Right, just get away from the deal for a bit of day.
2: Yeah. So just knowing what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to go to break at this point. Uh, this is Maureen Metcalf, innovative leaders driving thriving organizations, with Laura Holt and Carla Morelli, and we're talking about mergers and acquisitions and how to make them more effective. <coughs>
1: Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment.
2: with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.
1: You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is
2: Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And today we are joined by Laura Holt and Carla Morelli, talking about mergers and acquisitions. So one of the things that we've pointed to but haven't talked about directly is the mindset that we work with with both buyers and sellers. Can you say a little bit about that and how the
4: mindset of the participants connects to the effectiveness of the transaction? Well, in theory everybody starts out with the same idea. (laughs) I want to buy something and I want to sell something. And that is really great. And we want it to be a good transaction. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, the thing that tends to happen uh, relatively quickly, I think, Laura, you probably see it. In fact, as we were talking at the break, you, you see a lot of it um, is that the pressure that starts to build um, causes people to quickly fray. They splinter. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, once you start to get those competing interests that I was describing earlier, you get executive pressures, you get, um, you get uh, expectations about performance on the other side. Um, those things then start to cause people to uh, really behave in ways that are erratic, that then turns everything into a reactive situation. And there's very little space and time then to start to think your way through, as you were describing earlier, Laura.
3: Yeah, I mean, and I think especially if this is your first rodeo, um, the uh, the emotional charge of the situation mm-hmm. can get underappreciated, right? Yeah. So if you are buying a company for the first time, and this is a you know lifestyle company of thirty years, then leadership is learning for the first time how to let go. Mm-hmm. How to let somebody else take their take their baby to the dance, if you will, uh-huh. and you have, um, you know, you'll have a buyer that's into this, you know, perhaps for other reasons, just saying, hey, I thought we all agreed you were going to go, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that this was going to be mine if I paid you this amount of money, right? <laughs> Get out, um, but there there is an emotional um, part of that, and the and the sellers usually underestimate that themselves because you know perhaps they this was their life dream, they've got the mm-hmm. you know uh, Jamaican beach house picked out. <laughs> and but they haven't gotten on the plane right, yet. Right. They promised their wives, you know, or their husbands. Like I, I'll actually pick up the phone now. So they are, you know, looking forward to, um, this exit, but it is a hard thing to let go of and let somebody else sort
4: of mold, mold the future of what you have built. Well, you know, what's interesting too, I think is that, um, to continue that thought is that you hear and, and, uh, entrepreneurs are always told don't let the business have your identity the business should have its own identity sometimes that's not true but mid by and large Mm -hmm. if you want to sell something it should not be attached to you should be able to stand alone and that's fine and some people are better at that Mm -hmm. than others but the one thing that they don't tell you is that your identity should not be the business I think that becomes a really big problem when people are trying to let go. It's like who, who, who does that mean I am? And I think sometimes when you get that, that frantic sort of clawing or digging their heels in, a resistance to things, part of it's because they don't know who that means they become. And no one's talking to them about that.
3: Right. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. And that you know, that should be part of your Charlie's job, your you know yeah. your partner's yes. job. As a coach um, or, or an or advisor,
2: that's my job often.
3: Right. Yeah. What is what's the new me, right? Um, and, I, you know, I, I think also that's a lot of the reason you see a lot of the tail end of the boomers that are exiting looking at the ESOP as a mm, more viable mm-hmm. option. Um, maybe they played around with a strategic buyer, a financial buyer, and they, you know, had friends that got burnt, you know, selling mm-hmm. their companies to people that sort of uh, turned them into something that wasn't consistent with their legacy or their values, or maybe mm-hmm. they just didn't like not having a role. And so yeah. you see this huge boom and uptick in ESOPs. ESOPs um, and stories, employee stock-owned plans. Right, yeah. right. Where you're selling to your employees, you're basically creating
4: mm-hmm.
3: your buyer, and you still sort of, you know, play that role in the company. It's an easier transition over time as you exit out and your next generation of leadership mm-hmm. is the one you picked. So,
2: so you take more of a board role at that point.
3: No, I mean, mo- most of them still stay. You know, mm-hmm. um, they they take back a, a note from the bank that finances Mm -hmm. the ESOP, and they stay as an active role in leadership until, you know, as management, CEO, Mm -hmm. what have Mm -hmm. you, until the notes paid off. And so it's a more staggered approach to the asset.
2: Yeah, I know one of my clients is in that arrangement and he's still active, but progressively less so over time.
3: Right, right.
2: As presumably the next generation, in their case, family-owned. So the next generation is stepping in.
3: Right. It's not that dead stop of, here's your wired funds. Mm-hmm. You your we'll button. let you know if there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah which, check clears you're out. <laughs> yeah, which can be startling, yeah,
2: understandably. Or, or hired yes. back for a period of time, but with less say.
3: Mm-hmm. So we talked about, under the human
2: factors, what are the specific, say, top five that you think drive success of a transaction?
4: The human factors is in the behaviors?
2: Yeah, I mean, we at least in our pre-conversation, we talked about, if I were to look at what causes deals to fail, it's often the people, not the, we don't have the funds in the bank, we, there wasn't a technical issue, it no. is often human issues that interfere with success.
4: Isn't it always true? <laughs> Almost always well, true. <laughs> and
2: so that's the point. What, so it's let's, not all about therapy, no? <laughs> so what's the, give us a list, just top five, say, of things that you've run into that really promoted success and or interfered with success. So if, if they're in place, it, it has a higher probability of success, and when it's missing, you know early on that this is going to be either a slog or a nightmare.
3: I mean, my top one, as soon as a client approaches me on a buy or sell side is I say, okay, this is great. This is what I can offer, you Mm -hmm. know, to the transaction. Here's a list of other attorneys you should vet. Okay. Right. Um, And it's because it's an important and critical and emotional process. You're in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. You know, make sure you vetted your advisory team and that you feel like you're in good hands because it gets intense. So
2: when you say in good hands, I'm assuming you know you're a good lawyer, so you're looking at beyond technical capabilities. What would they be looking for? What characteristics?
3: Right. Just on a a personality level, if somebody wants a, you know, a slash and burn bulldog that's going to just beat the other side of the ground, they're not going to pick me. Right mm-hmm. my you know my goal at the end of the transaction is these people all want to do another transaction with mm-hmm. me because this is a relationship you know mm-hmm. business, and that and my clients pick me because they want to do more transactions with those people <laughs> um mm-hmm. and so you know that maybe that style you mm-hmm. know uh doesn't work, and you know other people want uh you know advisors that will tell them what to do okay rather than give them options
2: okay
4: mm-hmm. Carla, how about you? Uh, you know, for me, I think it's about um, it's, a, it's about the approach that people bring to their transaction, right? Whether you're the buyer or the seller is kind of irrelevant. For me, it's about why are you doing this? What are you after? How are you going to manage your way through this? And am I setting up the people around me to be able to get through that process? Not okay. just myself, right? When they fail is when you, you, you have these people that are sort of stuck in a place trying to get everything done or keeping mm-hmm. things to themselves or not creating that internet work that has to be mm-hmm. present of, of information um, and, mm-hmm. and mindset and philosophy and approach. And Carla, you're brilliant at building trust, right? That is your tr- trust. Yes, yeah. Without, tr- yes. I mean, I, I think, um, what do I want to say? I want to be careful about how I say this. Trust inspires communication. I don't think it's... I, I, and it, communication may be the seed that starts it, but I, I really think that without a good trust-based environment, you're not going to get what you're after, Mm-hmm. ever, right? Because people will be holding back, p- concerned that they're going to have to protect mm-hmm. something or they're going to have to fix something or recover from something, and you you don't engage mm-hmm. fully. So that's trust among our team members often who are... It's also trust among both sides. Okay. The, across the transaction, I mean, and I think, Laura, you probably see this too. If there's not a trust relationship here that mm-hmm. everyone's acting in as good a faith as possible you're constantly trying to figure out how you're gonna, and you're gonna do that anyway. Some of this is about risk mitigation and that's just part of the transaction, that's fine.
2: Well, and the other point I was trying to make is often when we enter a transaction, we're working with new people, right? So Mm -hmm. my counsel may be different, my financial advisor may be different, my financier may be different. So we're also pulling together a cadre of people who just don't have a common experience base yet. And trying to learn each other, so I hire Laura because I, I like her and I like her uh, approach. But I may not know the first time we bump into a wall together, what's going on, because we just haven't had that yet f- lived experience. And then I have to back up and make sure that we're on the same page, which is just a normal everyday. But
4: but it ta- but it all takes time, mm-hmm. right? And that's and it's mm-hmm. when it's and it typically comes at a time when you don't have time. That's the t- and that's where I think the challenge. That's where the challenge comes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you. Um, it doesn't matter who you are on the team. I think you have, to, you have to come, you know, to whatever interaction you have with people with no ego, right? No point to prove. No, you all just want to do the best job you can because that's what you're all here for. Otherwise, somebody should go home.
2: Well, and yet that
4: <laughs> It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but when it does, that's when real... I mean, and that, the other thing is that these things tend to require some uh, some amount of creativity that you hadn't mm-hmm. planned on. Right? Because you, you're mm-hmm. confronted now with a set of, of facts that don't look like what one side or the other or both were expecting. And it's, you know, now what? And mm-hmm. so if you, if you come with no ego and no point to prove and no, you know, you just mm-hmm. want to come and do the best, you know, come out with the best possible conclusion. That's where the trust starts to be created, right? Because people don't feel like they're trying to somehow mm-hmm. react to you or interact with you in a way that they have to really be thinking about. There's no time to think. And yet,
2: I've got a seller who wants to build a legacy, make sure their company goes on, whatever, cash out. Or just make a, well, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> but, but they do have a, an objective, a yeah. very clear one. And that may hinder their willingness to be as transparent and as collaborative as we would hope.
3: Right, or just hear the truth right mm-hmm. so yeah. you know a, a lot of times it it's helpful when you're getting to know your uh you know first time client to just say what else is going on in your life what else is important mm-hmm. to you right now mm-hmm. so i have yeah. a client mm-hmm. right now he's selling a division he's young mm-hmm. um he has a lot of other businesses you know that he's looking at uh getting into and mm-hmm. so he wants this to get done it's going to be capital for his next you know investments and He's saying, you know, Laura, I hope you know the difference between, you know, dying on this hill and dying on a mountain, right? And so, <laughs> so I, you know, I'm sure you're very educated, but please don't, you know, rack up the bills over semantics. You know, mm-hmm. let's do big picture and move mm-hmm. along. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not always the case if you have something yeah. that, that this is their baby and they're selling mm-hmm. and everything is a sacred cow to them. And then mm-hmm. they have to be able to hear from you, you know, maybe we've got to let this one go. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe this one needs to be less sacred considering your other sort of goals for the future. Um, So, you know, I think the good advisory team, the building trust, you know, we talked about resilience and the Charlie Munger. We got you four. What's your fifth one? (laughs) Managing energy was another one we talked about. Right. Okay. Okay. Carla, you're in better shape than me. What do you got to say, <laughs> <laughs> what say in
4: about What do you got to say about Right, right. Uh, you probably not, have better input, yeah. You know, I again, I mean, I think this comes back to one of the things that you said earlier. You've got to... Um, it's about maintaining perspective, right? Because if you... And I don't know which one comes first. It's chicken or the egg, I think, for me. Does your energy allow you to maintain perspective or does your perspective allow you to maintain your energy, right? I mean, I, maybe there's no way to pull those two apart. Um, but I, I think being incredibly mindful to the extent that you can be in these Mm -hmm. situations, i.e. you can't most of the time, but trying at least to come up with sometimes when you are paying attention to how you're doing um, and how the energy of the group is doing is not just about you, Mm -hmm. right? When when you Mm -hmm. show up and you're present in a a room full of people or on a conference call or whatever it is, um, everybody feeds off everybody else too to some degree and so you've got to be aware Mm -hmm. not just for yourself but for 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 the larger collective. Right. And knowing your leverage. Right. Yes. So
3: yeah. if you don't have leverage in a situation, right, don't, you know, don't beat a dead horse. Right. Don't try to create right? something. Sometimes right? it's better know, just to let it go. Right. Know where you have leverage and where you don't mm. um, and be respectful of that. So you're not, you know, spending your energy where it can't go anywhere.
2: It sounds like I also know, have to know who on my team has the capacity to be creative. Right. There are some folks I'm going to look to like my attorney for risk management. I want you to tell me where I'm going to fall in a hole that I can't get out of. I may also look to you for creative financing options. So who, who can fix which problems and, bring to the table solutions I never would have thought of.
3: I think that's their job. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, honestly, I without, yes. with how expensive everybody is at the table, right, mm-hmm. it is their job to be coming up with things that you haven't come up with. You've built this mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. or you're acquiring this company. Your job, right, is mm-hmm. to keep that company on rails um, through the through the process and keep the customers and the employees happy. Your advisor's mm-hmm. jobs are to come up with the, you know, most creative solutions possible for you and hold their feet to the fire about it, mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, press them to do better by you. It, and yet I have to set the expectation that that's what I want. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Because I don't
2: think everyone realizes that that's part of what I'm paying for. Right. <laughs> I want it hammered through. I want it done quickly. <laughs> well,
4: and I, and I think internally as well. I mean, the team that you're... If, if you're the seller, you're not selling it by yourself. It's you and at mm-hmm. least one or two or three other people internally that you have, you know, that you hold everything close to. Um, those Those people... Um, again, I mean, some of this is just about uh, sort of divine inspiration. That's how creativity comes sometimes. It's not just mm-hmm. about, you know, telling you. And that sounds kind of hokey. <laughs> As I say that, I'm well aware of it. But I, but I think um, the, the creative process, right, Brilliant is... in the shower. They're inspiration. <laughs> they're inspirational. It's, you have to be able to think outside of the norm. Right? Well, and part of the reason
2: I raise that is not everyone does that consistently. I know who I look to to have really... Out of the box, yeah. Inspiration. If you look
4: at it just long enough to go, not that. That's okay.
2: But not right. everyone does that. That—that's yeah. my point. Mm. Yeah. Right. That—that that there are some people I know they won't come up with something creative. It's not what they do.
4: True, yes, uh, and someone true, like you
2: comes sure. up with creative stuff, even when we don't want it. <laughs>
4: right. oh, come on now. <laughs> right. Right. All right. And, so, and, be and to good. that, you can say no, thank you. <laughs>
3: yeah. That's totally fine. All right. And, and honestly, be good to those people. Yeah. You know, I well, I, mean, I sold a company, you know, about a year ago, and. Um, the owner was excited and telling me this story about his wife, you know, mortgaged, you know, an aunt's farm to start mm. their first oh, restaurant, oh, right? Cool. And he was going to buy this beautiful shotgun. They were going to get this great house and all of this. And we're at the closing table and I said, you sent her flowers, right? And he said, what? Said, you send your <laughs> wife flowers, right? <laughs> he said, oh, geez, I guess I should. <laughs> yeah, I'll get those on the way home. Be good to those people, yeah, right? Yeah, That have been that for you.
2: And I joke about it, but they're invaluable. The only way a lot of, these projects get done as well as they do is people who can come up with creative solutions you pull it out of a hat
4: kind of thing yeah yeah so.
2: so let's go to break at this point innovative leaders driving thriving organizations we're with Carla Morelli and Laura Holt talking about mergers and acquisitions and what we can do to make them more successful <laughs>
1: move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit metcalf-associates.com. together in conversations that make a difference, right here on the Voice America Business Channel, every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: This is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, with Laura Holt and Carla Morelli talking about successful mergers and acquisitions. And so let's go into this idea that I have to both get the deal done. All of the technical things that have to be done. And I'm dealing with precious human beings who have fears, they've got egos, they've got points to prove. The (laughs) needs. Yeah. So how do you deal with people? And so give us a couple of stories about something that's worked exceptionally well.
4: So Maureen and I have known each other and worked together a number of times and for some years now. And she knows that my answer to everything is therapy. <laughs> Which is not going to a psychotherapist, but it is. <laughs> it's all therapy. It's all a therapy job. This is, I mean, you know, transactions are people and people are messy. And that's just part of our charm. That's part mm-hmm. of who we are. You can't escape that. Uh, and so for me, the, the reason why I have succeeded when I've, ha- when I've really been in difficult positions and the reason why they continually put me in the, the, the worst possible positions mm-hmm. is because you talk to people you know, mm-hmm. I Respectfully. I, I, well, okay, and sometimes not. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, you start
2: respectful.
4: You, this is about the fact that they're people, and people have lives, and they've got experiences and backgrounds and histories that bring them to the table, you know, perceiving certain things they've got needs. Um, it doesn't alter the fact that something's going to have to get done. You might not like that, but we'll talk about how you get there, mm-hmm. um, and... and Without that, without actually mm-hmm. letting people talk themselves out, and it doesn't have to be long and drawn out, but it does have to be, um, it does have to be conscientious, mindful.
2: So, doing your best to understand what their drivers are and how to keep them whole. In a process, in some cases, that they're not going to like. Or you're they're, they're
4: not going to keep them whole, right? As and, much as possible. Yeah. The trick is to get everybody through. So my job, because no one ever reports to me, right, but I have to run teams of hundreds of people sometimes around the world. And mm. I, I don't get to tell anybody what to do, really. My goal is that the next time they have a good experience with me, which sounds a lot like what Laura said earlier, and that when they're done, the next time I call, they pick up the phone because they don't have to. Right. And this is so when they understand that my my goal is to have you have as good an experience as possible, given what we have to do, Mm -hmm. you may not be happy at the end, but you'll understand and you'll have lined up because we got you to that point. So what was that nickname? Oh, the Italian Battalion. <laughs> My best friend's wife called me that. Yeah, I mean, make no mistake. People would ask me; would say, "Oh, but Carla, you're so nice, and you're so sweet, and you're so." I mean, don't misunderstand. Right? We're still gonna get this done. Yeah, this but is the not goal optional. is that you're relatively happy when we're finished, and not mm-hmm. you know, you know, wanting to to, to shoot me.
3: Yeah. Well, I and mean, I also just think you know, recognize that this is a, a life cycle event. So you know, like a like a wedding it can be very stressful to plan but you know make sure that you drink champagne and, and you know <laughs> consummate so you know to make it all worth it um you know one of the best days of you know not just being a lawyer but my life uh was representing a seller who was a huge sale you know 13 times and uh he had built this company out of his garage and he had employees that had started with him out of that garage and he couldn't pay them much so they had you know s- stock awards uh-huh. that vested uh-huh. at the sale date and now we had this big company and you know the the employees made you know not that much more than minimum wage they had seen me in and out of the headquarters for 2 mm-hmm. months and were giving me glaring looks thinking oh here comes the <laughs> lawyer to fire us you know <laughs> any minute
1: um
3: and about a week before for christmas uh, I I had the great pleasure Of bringing each one of those employees in and giving them their stock awards that were vesting. Now they each thought, you know, they were getting fired coming to the office. And the CEO, you know, he called off that day and he was tired and you know was thinking about other things. And you know, I think he denied himself this very human sort of opportunity Mm -hmm. to sit there with somebody making you know twenty grand a year and give them a seventy-five thousand dollar check. You know, a week Mm -hmm. before Christmas, people were crying. They were hugging me. Oh, wow. They were telling me, you know, now oh now I can fly my mom in, you know, mm-hmm. for Christmas and now, you know, oh, I can gosh. buy my kids Christmas gifts. I was crying with them. I was, <laughs> oh, you know. And God. and I have to say, you know, there are there are great moments as mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. you know, M and And people don't do closing dinners anymore. You get those little acrylic uh, deal toy plaques that have the investment <laughs> banker's oh, yeah. name on it. Um, have fun with it have closing dinners you know um, reward the people that got you through it and and recognize those sort of beautiful moments there because I'll never forget it I'll never forget that day I felt like Oprah I was like you get a check you get a check it was wonderful that's cool
2: and that juxtaposed with a lot of days of not much sleep
3: sure yeah, sure. No, I think I gained like fifteen pounds for that deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was it was a great day, and you got to see how this this business really impacts, you know, the people that are selling to your mm-hmm. customers, mm-hmm. you know, and and the people that took a flyer on you and took those stock awards instead of the you H- know, higher paying job mm-hmm. at yeah. the time. Yeah, they built it with you. So um, it can That's be a good love. day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. So what's your nickname? Ow. <laughs> so um, I, my clients call me the velvet hammer. And so, why is that? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I can come down. I can come down hard, but, I, you know, I, I make it, you know, I make it so it doesn't hurt so bad.
2: <laughs> well, and, and I think the the important takeaway is it's hard. And it's really hard work. And yet you get through it and someone calls you back because you, you have attended to their human needs. Because we all have them and they're annoying and they're messy and all that stuff but we take care of them to to the to the best of our ability cuz yeah. we need those people to show up tomorrow and work equally as hard for another 20-hour day
3: and the deal world is small so you know you're going to mm-hmm. run into that accountant that lawyer that you know you know tax advisor mm-hmm. yeah, that CEO i mean you are going to run into these people again and mm-hmm. so well, and if nothing time. else,
4: I mean, even for the bigger ones, you develop a reputation in the marketplace as a as a good buyer or a mm, crappy seller, mm-hmm. or right. I mean, those mm-hmm. are you know, I've seen co- I've seen companies refuse that are that want to sell refuse to engage potential buyers because of their reputation as a buyer. That's true. Right, so, because but,
2: of the transaction or because of the integration?
4: Because of the way, it could be any part of that. Mm-hmm. Because of the, the way they negotiate, because of the way they treat people during diligence, because of the way they treat people on the other side of the integration or what they do with the asset afterwards. Mm, there are okay. all kinds of reasons why. Um, and then they're valid. Like, as the word gets out. It is, um, it doesn't matter what size company you are even.
2: So let's talk about integration for a few minutes. ha. <laughs> My favorite part. <laughs> right? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I've just spent a, a lot of money, probably more than I wanted to, on a company. They're, they're welcomed into my umbrella of companies or into my home. This is the uh oh moment. <laughs> Oops. <Uh-oh. laughs> now, there what I, now? now, what do I do to make this a, a positive experience for the employees who, who weren't part of the choice to be sold or bought? Um, well, they didn't know,
4: and they didn't get to pick. Yeah. Well, guess what?
2: Yeah. So now tomorrow, there's a new sign on the door.
4: All right. So this is my specialty, um, and really, before you close, you should have an integration plan. I don't care what size mm. the company is. Right. They have some idea of what they're going to do, and in theory, the first X should be fairly detailed. The first hours on the other side, the first days on the other side, in in detail, because mm-hmm. that's the only way you're going to ensure that you've covered enough touch points that the staff the ones that you need to keep and not have run yeah, away, yeah. That, they're, that they feel attended to um, and not like they're an asset that was just bought and sold. So I assume the integration begins before the sale has closed. No, integration when planning begins before the sale is closed. When I tell my employees that they're going to be sold. No, you don't tell them until after they're sold. Most of the time. I don't know, Laura, do you see... Right, or day Yeah. If it's a tiny little company with a handful of people, six, sure. Because okay. they're all involved anyway. You can't get data. Or, but, but when you're... T- no, no, no. You don't say anything until it's done. When it's done, it's done. Okay. Because the, the reality is that it could not be done. Somebody, uh, yeah, and then these people are now f- you know, yeah. sort of feeling very um, unsafe. And so they'll go, they'll go someplace else. Then you'll have mm-hmm. no company left, no one to sell, no one to, no one to sell your stuff, no one to create your stuff, no one to attend to your customers, and your value just completely disappeared. So the most successful integrations I've seen have been
3: um, where they're right from the get, there's a multidisciplinary team mm-hmm. right across mm-hmm. the different lines, the different product or service lines. You have one from the acquired and one from the acquirer mm-hmm. yep. right, leading. Uh, you have a good relationship with the seller because mm-hmm. you're going to have questions, right? Yep. And you put it as a board agenda item first up every single board meeting, right? For the first 18 to 24 months, depending on, yep. you know, what the sort of earn out or, mm-hmm. you know, projections mm-hmm. we're showing. First board agenda meeting, every single board meeting needs to be how are we holding ourselves accountable
2: mm-hmm. how are we doing to, to the plan? Right, yeah. to
3: why we did this to begin with.
2: So are there characteristics of companies that are more easy to integrate? Uh, We talked about adaptable cultures, having done diagnoses in advance. What have you seen that's really been positive?
3: So the simpler the company, right? So they Mm -hmm. have one product line and they were just making the acquisition to expand a customer base mm-hmm. but the customers are pretty similar mm-hmm. um they have the same technology systems and mm-hmm. they're in the same geographical sort of location right mm-hmm. that's that's pretty yeah. easy that should be pretty seamless you know the difficult ones is when you know is, are you out in the wild west now right you've now added something that's a little different mm-hmm. you know um from the legacy company and mm-hmm. are these people a little different are they you know do they you know, if you're a you know, West Virginia company acquiring a Silicon Valley company, you're going to have cultural differences as far as leadership and what's effective.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, and the international transactions are the ones that have multi you know offices around the world. Mm-hmm. You've got employees in countries that you may not have dealt with before. So you have both cultural issues um, as well as legal issues, right? Mm-hmm. Employer, you've got, um, you know, employee work councils and things in mm-hmm. certain countries that you may now have to know about. Um the other thing I think really is that it's culture.
1: Mm-hmm. At the end
4: of the day, I mean, to your point, West Virginia and Silicon Valley, there's, these are, it also, I've seen it happen many times. I, I was part of a larger acquirer. Um, it's the small companies that have very few systems. They're not highly process oriented. There's not mm. a lot of structure. Maybe they haven't been in a matrixed environment where, you know, a function, uh-huh. there, you've got HR and operations and legal and whatever, there's no. So I may be responsible for having all those people do something for my line of business, but I don't own any of them. Um, I can't control the resource. When people move into those situations or into those environments, that's where I've seen just an insane amount of mm, dissatisfaction, Mm. discomfort, unhappiness. They rail against process and structure, and, and sometimes it's too much for what they were, but that's what they got sucked into, and you have to kind of figure out how you... Who gives? What side gives? Does the acquirer mm-hmm. give a little bit because this makes sense? Or does the acquirer say, we're sucking you into our, mm-hmm. you know, our setup because that's what we do? And I, you know, I've had these discussions at length with lots of different people in the field. And again, for people have yeah. opinions about what the right thing is.
3: Yeah. So make somebody a complaint <clears throat> box, right? Make sure you have a complaint <laughs> that me. box. That was me. <laughs> make them a complaint <laughs> box. And don't pick a key... Employee to be the complaint box. You know, okay. you don't want mm-hmm. their motivation to be down. You don't want them mm-hmm. to be tied up, mm-hmm. right, with everybody's negative energy. You want them to be staying sort of positive and linear. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And so, some <coughs> understanding that again, there's a arc of emotional reactions, almost it's a, a death and dying cycle.
3: Absolutely,
4: yes. Yeah. So,
2: so I know that I, people will go through shock, denial, that yep. that stuff. Oh, yeah. And I just, as the complaint box, I need to anticipate and help people manage their way through the emotional volatility that we all know they're going to face.
3: And tie it to the customer, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that are, you know, punch clock employees, if they are alienated from the fruits of their labor and they think they're just going through this process in order to continue to get a paycheck that Mm -hmm. they've always gotten, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe a little bit more than Mm -hmm. they used to get. If you can tie for them the reason you're doing these new systems and how it delivers to those customers, and they can Mm -hmm. see those results, um, at least psychologically, it doesn't seem as arbitrary. It doesn't seem as as much like, you know, momentum for the sake of momentum. It's, you know, these are, you know, real things that I am delivering by adjusting and being adaptable.
4: Yeah, well
2: said. I've seen people, especially time clock employees, this is happening to me because somebody wanted to make a lot of money and now my my life is harder. Right. So, so especially putting a customer in front of people and, and connecting to, I do this because of this, even though somebody made a lot of money, I can make it a meaningful experience for the employee.
3: Right. Oh, absolutely. Right. This is not just about, you know, the old CEO gets more jet skis, you know, this is, you know, this is, wow, look at, you know, how many more services we can offer the customer more or how much faster we can get it to them so that they can build what they're built to do,
4: you know? Well, I think it it comes back to people, you know, people need to feel valued, right? I mean, we're all like that. I don't care who you are. I mean, unless you live under a rock. You want to know that you've provided some value in the world that day. And so I think when people are, when the incoming, you know, employees are there, it's about how they fit in to the bigger, to the broader company and how what they're doing now makes the customers that they've known and loved better off. So let's use that as a wrap up. So
2: people want to feel valued. Yeah. So, So as we look at what helps acquisitions be most effective or increase the probability of, of success is, I need to know what my rudder is. Why am I doing this? What's my North Star? I need to know who my Charlie is. So who is it that I look to when I need a sounding board? and know that I need a sounding board. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Attend to my energy, my resilience, knowing that I'm gonna have two full-time jobs, if not more, from a time commitment perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm probably gonna gain some weight. (laughs) do what I can to build or extend trust with my internal advisory team and with my new clients or new, my, the people I'm acquiring or being acquired by. So the people on the other side, and then on the integration side, what am I doing to, um, ensure that our culture is adaptable, that we have an integration plan. It's cross-functional. I'm including people from the, the legacy company and the new company, and that it's a board agenda item. So with that, we're going to wrap up. This is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I would love to hear from you. My email is info at metcalf-associates.com. Please email with questions, suggestions for additional shows, insight or feedback that you'd like to provide. We can either get those to Laura or Carla, or I will answer them directly. We may also feature your question on the air. So, again, please keep in touch with us. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.